Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Okay, so I'm so excited to be starting a series on the life of Samuel from the book 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And just to really support this series, we actually have the book of Samuel on sale. And we want to encourage you to pick it up and to even buy it and give it away. It is, you know, I love to just have one book of the Bible I carry around. I get books like this, one book of the Bible, and I read and I write notes all over it. It's very precious to my heart. I want to encourage you. I haven't said this in a while. My, mark your Bible and let your Bible what? Mark you. I believe it was Moody who said that. And so um, most of the books that I have are not this cool. This is really cool. But I want you to pick it up. We've got merch. And the book of Samuel is all about the call of God. Everybody say, I am called. called. Yes, indeed, you are. And we're going to spend the next weeks, as the Lord leads us, doing whatever we can to understand the call of God. We need to understand the call of God. Very, very important. And also, we need to support each other in fulfilling the call of God upon our lives. If there was ever a time for us to hunker down and help one another fulfill the call of God, brothers and sisters, now is that time. The call of God is vitally important because God's call is his solution to dark days like the days that we're living in. God raises people up during dark times. Listen to this. Peter Marshall said, It's better to fail pursuing a cause that will succeed than succeed pursuing a cause that will fail. Can I tell you, nothing succeeds like the call of God. In the end, if you really want to succeed, nothing succeeds like the call of God. And here's why. Number one, because the call of God is eternal, meaningful, and fruitful. When you start to think about how you want to live your life and what you want your life to be like and to achieve in the end, just know only the call of God is threefold. It's eternal in its impact. It's meaningful in all of its choices and expressions. And it's fruitful. Amen. So in this life, you may do something and pursue something that's meaningful to you. And you may do something that you consider to be uh, somewhat fruitful. But only the call of God will have all three eternal, meaningful, and fruitful. Amen. Praise be to the living God. The other thing that is important for us as we unpack this is that the call of God is not restricted to a specific age or to someone in full-time ministry. Because sometimes people say, well, you know, uh, um, that person was called when they were 16 years old or when they were 12 years old. We're going to see Samuel was brought into the temple very at a very 
early age. That is not true. If you think that there's a cutoff line for the call, you don't understand the call of God. There are great men and women of God all throughout history who answered the call later in life and yet did great things for the glory of God. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber. He was a plumber who had a really bad temper. And he had a godly wife. And his wife would pray and pray and pray. And he was so mean to her. But one day he got convicted and he went into a time of fasting. And he was fasting about his temper. He was fasting about his issues. But while he was fasting, God got a hold of him. And then a whole ministry started and he preached all over the world. And many supernatural miracles took place through his ministry. And all of that started when he was 55 years old. I'm 54. I'm just getting ready for my call. You see, it doesn't mean that you're called to full-time ministry. God calls people from all walks of life to make a difference, to penetrate the culture and the world right where we are. Let me give you a, a quick for example. I believe it was in the 1800s. There was a woman. Her name was Florence Nightingale. Anybody at least know the name Florence Nightingale? Okay, she was considered the founder of modern nursing. You see, she was in London, and there was a war going on between London and Russia, and, um, and the conditions of the, of the wounded soldiers were so horrendous that what she did is she first started to pray. She said, God, this is awful. We got to, something has to change. Does God call nurses? Absolutely. If we haven't seen the call of God on nurses in the last year, then we're blind. How many are thankful for all of the nurses and all the first responders? And so she sought God and cried out to God and she made appeals and, 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 and they, they started to change the way hospitals were run because of this one woman who reached out to God and she cried out to God and then God made a difference through her. Listen to how she testifies about her life. And by the way, here's the impact that she had. 42% of the wounded soldiers were dying and after she took over, it went from 42% to 2%. How many want to make an impact like that for the glory of God? So listen, when, they taught, when, when she testified about the impact of her life, she said this, if I could give you information of my life, it would be to show you how a woman of very ordinary ability has been led by God in strange and unaccustomed paths. So remember, look at me for a second before I finish reading this. Don't say it's only for pastors. Don't say it's only for worship leaders. Say, I'm called. Everybody say, I'm called. Yes, you are. It says, and if I could tell you all, you would see how God has done all, and I nothing. I've worked hard, very hard, that is all, and I have never refused God anything. This example has a clue. It has a clue towards kind of the key points of the message today. Now, this is important because 1 Samuel takes place right after the book of Judges. 
The book of Judges was the darkest period in the history of Israel. In fact, this is the way the book of Judges closes when God brings Samuel uh, uh, onto the scene. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, no king spiritually, and no king politically. He said, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like America to you? Sounds like America to me. Everyone thinks that, uh, that, they, that their opinion is the opinion that counts and their opinion is the opinion that's the most important and everyone is posting and everyone is talking and everyone has their slant and everyone has a solution and no one is asking God for solutions. You see? And you know what? As people did what was right in their own eyes, Israel plunged into the deepest and darkest state of their entire history. Because when we live life for ourselves, everything ultimately crashes. And so it's in moments like these that the call of God becomes so important. You see, so what does God do when times are dark? What, have God, what does God do when cities are burning? What does God do when there's rampant division and rampant violence? You know what he does? He starts to call his people. He releases the call of God upon the church. Anybody here ready to receive the call of God upon your life? That's what he does. That's his way. And what we're going to see is we're going to see that God uses housewives, housewives and children, husbands, all to become part of the large cast who collectively surrender to bring about great change. If we could just learn the value of the call of God upon our lives, if we could just learn or develop a sensitivity, I have been praying for a couple of months that God would give you a sensitivity to his call. God has a greater purpose. God has a greater plan. That's not just talk. That is kingdom reality. The Lord wants to use his people. If he raised up Samuel, how many know he wants to raise up more Samuels and Samanthas right here and right now in this day and this hour? So this is a big deal. This is a very important, um, very this is such an important series. Help us, Jesus. So we're going to begin 1 Samuel chapter 1. And the main character of 1 Samuel chapter 1, it will introduce all of the characters. Uh, well, in, in the beginning part of the, of the book, it will introduce many characters. But the main character is a woman whose name is Hannah. And Hannah was a housewife. So we're going we're gonna to see how God uses this life to bring about not just spiritual change, but national change. 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. 
So it says, there was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of uh, Jerohim. I said that name wrong. It's not Jerohim. Jeroham. Jeroham. Got it. I hope we could delete that off of the thing or whatever, right? The son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, the Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Peninnah. Now let me stop here, and I want to emphasize. Someone, sometimes we read the Old Testament and goes, wait a second, I thought that God is not for that. Guess what? God is not for a man married to two women. Okay, but the Old Testament is the unfolding plan of God. And so what we see in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is also known as the Old Covenant. What we see in the Old Testament is what people do when they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. Even though they want to do right, they don't do right if they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And so God was very patient with his people because he knew they just didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit to get them to choose the way of freedom. It's the whom the Son sets free, is free indeed, and the Son had not come yet. Okay? So now it says, Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. By the way, please go home and read. In fact, it's better if you read in advance. Because if you read in advance, there's so much to cover. I could preach on each chapter. I could preach two or three hours. In fact, I might do that today, so we'll send out for lunch. Okay? So, so the more you read, the more you can take in. There's a lot to cover here. But, but Elkanah would go and worship a year after year. The Bible says there were two, uh, two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. And then it says, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, everyone say, but to Hannah. Okay, I've got this verse bold because this is the key verse of this text. It says, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Why? Because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. He loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. That's really interesting, isn't it? She was loved, but not fully blessed. He loved her, but the Lord had closed her womb. See, sometimes when something great is going to happen in your life, you find yourself in that position. You're loved, but not fully blessed. In fact, that reminds me a lot of America right now. 
America is loved by God, but not fully blessed for very obvious reasons. It makes me think about the church. I think the church could be so much further and so much more powerful for the glory of God. The church is definitely loved by God, but not fully blessed. It's possible that you could be the object of God's love today, but you don't feel fully blessed. And it makes you wonder. It makes you shake your head. Why? And what we're going to see today, it's because of the great call of God upon your life. See, sometimes when you're really called by God, he doesn't fully bless you when you want to be fully blessed. Very, very interesting. Now, I want to finish the rest of this story, but I want to go back to this and then pray. Okay, so the Bible says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So every day she was irritated and tormented by this woman who basically she lived with. Uh, how many know that's why two wives don't work? It's just not a good idea. It's not a good idea. So this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Wow but still loved by God. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? He was like, I love you, you know, so much. Now once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Everybody say, Hannah stood up. Hannah stood up. So the plot thickens. Okay, the plot thickens. Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the house of the Lord. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery, and remember me as if she wasn't remembered. It says, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then, everybody say then. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. There it is. Okay, and no razor will ever be used on his head, which was a special kind of call. John, he would be a Nazarite. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. Samuel was a Nazarite. These are people who were separated totally to the purposes of God. She said, if you'll give me a son, I will give him totally to your purposes. A little bit more. So the, the story unfolds. You'll read it. When she, while she's praying, the, the priest, and we're going to talk about this next week, the priest 
couldn't really tell or discern that she was crying out to God. And he thought she was drunk. And she said, no, I'm crying out to God. He said, may the Lord hear your prayer. And she went, she went home. She broke through in prayer and went home like I gave it to God. And then here's what the scripture says. It says, early the next morning, they arose, worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Some translations put it, I, she named him Samuel because I was heard by God. There was a special prayer that brought a special answer from the king of glory. Now, when we look at this story and we're talking about the call of God, we have to ask ourselves, Lord, why the delay if you loved Hannah? Or better yet, maybe someone is sitting in their kitchen or watching this message from your living room. And one of the deep questions you have in your heart is, Lord, if you love me, why the delay? It's all about the call of God. It's all because God, he, he has a special plan. He has a greater plan. It's all because of the greater purpose. Everybody say the greater purpose. The title of my message today is The Greater Purpose. Because there's a greater purpose for you and me. And that greater purpose is fulfilled when we answer the call of God. So wherever you find yourself, come on, lift your hands again. Why do we lift our hands? Lifting our hands is a form of surrender. It's a form of worship. The Bible says, let men everywhere lift up holy hands. We're reaching past the things of this world and we're reaching up to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all of my brothers and sisters in both buildings, those watching online. And God, we thank you that you have a plan for these days. And you fulfill that plan when your people answer the call. Help us, Lord, to answer the great call. Help us to live for the greater purpose upon our lives. Lord, I'm asking that you would do something deep through this series. Time is short. God, I'm asking you, Lord God, that you would just step in and break in, oh God, to our lives and do something deep in us and through us for your glory, for your honor, for the advancement of your kingdom, for the sake of the greater purpose. In the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. How many are ready to live for the greater purpose of God? <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, yes. See, what was happening in Israel is since they were living for themselves, they were living for lesser purposes. That's what happens. Live for yourself, lesser purpose. Okay, live for yourself. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Lesser good, lesser blessing, lesser, lesser hope, uh, uh, lesser healing, 
lesser everything. But when we live for the greater purposes of God, then the fullness of the blessing of God visits our lives. Hallelujah. So, you know, before I, I unpack this particular text, I do want to say one thing. This, it, this message is not just about housewives, but I do want to say this. You know, as I walked back there and I peeked in on our little babies, we have an obligation to our children. We're called to raise up the next spirit-filled generation. That is a biblical mandate. That is a mandate from God. Every father, every mother, every sister, every brother, we are called to raise up children that answer the call of God. And my prayer is that every time you go to, to, uh, to close the door because they finally fell asleep and you're saying, praise Jesus, they are asleep. <laughs> that you, could re- you would recognize how sacred, how important your relationship with God is. It's impossible to raise up godly children without a godly example. Godly surrender brings godly multiplication. It's what this text shows us. Someone once said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the nation. And I believe that this is very, very true. So this is a real challenge to all of, our, all of us who are parents or who even aspire to be parents. The call of God is on the lives of our children. And we need to see it for what it is and pursue the fulfillment of that. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So what does it take to answer the call of God? What does it take to see the, the greater purpose of God fulfilled? Well, here's what we see in Hannah's life. In order for the greater purpose to be fulfilled, you have to endure the delay. If you want to see the greater purpose of God, you have to endure certain delays. Sometimes God will postpone a blessing for the sake of something eternal. The postponement doesn't feel the best, but it is the best. It is the best. You see, Penina would have children immediately, but she wouldn't have a child like Hannah. It's different, you see. If you want to give birth to a Samuel, and I'm using this in a metaphorical kind of way, certain things will often be postponed. Look at what Jason Lowe Baxter said about delays. He said, delays demonstrate God's power in a never-to-be-forgotten way. No situation is too far gone for our all-controlling Lord to overrule and transform. Delay does not mean that God is neglecting you. 
much less that he has forsaken you. No, sincere prayer in the name of Jesus is, is, I'm sorry, no sincere prayer in the name of Jesus is ever left unanswered. And delay is always with a view to answer bigger and better than that which we ask for. Hallelujah. Hannah was asking for a child, and God wanted to raise up a deliverer. So the delay was necessary. Can I encourage you? Don't lose your faith because of the delay. Don't lose your faith because some of the things in your heart have been postponed. Some people lose their faith because they just can't wait. They can't handle it. They take God's postponements as a spirit of rejection. You're not rejected by God. You're loved by God. You're not an orphan. You have a heavenly king and a heavenly father. Hallelujah. God loves you with an everlasting love. But this delay is bringing something out that's really powerful. You know, I've been reading a book on counseling and a Christian book on counseling. And um, in this book, I, I hope I can unpack this correctly, but in this book, it talks about two different types of pain. And I want you to think about this very quickly. He's, the, the author says there's what he calls present pain. That's the emotional and psychological pain of life that we try to rid ourselves of. Look at me for a second. Okay, so here's what it means. We all have these emotional, psychological things that hurt us, that bother us, that stress us out. And what we try to do is to get rid of them. Okay, because nobody wants to be stressed out. Anybody want to be stressed out? I don't want to be here stressed out. You see? And so we try to get rid of them, and we try to get rid of them, and it's, it's like a pain and it's a stress, but how we get rid of them is everything. And then he talks about there's a second pain. There's the pain of absence. The pain of absence is the additional pain that comes when we employ strategies that lack the help of Christ. Okay? So let me explain what that means. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have many troubles. But take heed. In other words, chill out. I've overcome the world. It's all good. Online, it's all good. On our worst day, it's hard. And we've all been through hard, hard, heartbreaking, devastating, discouraging days. But somehow, one day, it'll all make sense, and God will make all things good because all things work together for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So here's what he says. Yes, everybody's going to have trouble, but it's how you handle trouble. So when we try to handle trouble and get rid of trouble without the help of Christ, that's when we get double pain. Because now, not only do you have the problem, but now you have the problem without Jesus. And that's when the problem really becomes a problem. How many know when you have Jesus, even though you have the problem, it's all good? (laughs) 
And so sometimes, you know, people run to the bottle. Why do they run to the bottle? I need a drink. Why you need a drink? Because you don't understand that what you really need is Jesus. I need a smoke. I need some weed. Even though it's legal. <laughs> I need this. I need that. No, you don't. And when, if, you, if you choose that instead of the help of Christ, you see, you end up more empty. Amen. Jesus is the answer. The Bible says he's the prince of peace. And so sometimes... God delays because he's growing us. He's maturing us. Notice when you read the story, you're going to go home and read 1 Samuel today. I know you are. You're going to go home and read 1 Samuel. And when you go home and read 1 Samuel, one of the things you're going to see is that even though she lived every day with a woman who was, who was tormenting her, and even though the woman was tormenting her and she was tormented in her own right, and then at a certain point, even a man of God couldn't discern, you know, her hurt and her pain and, and said, are you drunk? All this kind of stuff was going on, but it didn't stop Hannah from seeking God. Hannah stood up and she kept pressing in. And I want to encourage you, keep pressing into God. Keep pressing into God. Let him finish the story. Let God finish the story. Let God finish the story. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes pain, it really wrecks us. But maybe in the last year, God has been using pain. Look at, look at what C.S. Lewis said about pain. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. You ever get a toothache? Good gracious, when you get a toothache, there's nothing. You know, it's the worst thing on the planet. I mean, they say giving birth is pretty bad too, but you know, I don't know about that one, you know. So, listen, it says pain. Yeah, I had to correct that because I see the, I was looking at the faces of some of the sisters. They're like, this dude, Yasef, where'd the whole sermon right out the window, right? So listen, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Maybe all of the pain in our country is so that people could look up and think about God. All of these intelligent folks, all of these politics, all of this, all of these ideas, it's not working. Somebody say, it's not working. We need God's solution back in the game. We need God's will. We need God's plan back on track. And so Hannah, she kept going after the Lord. And she kept going after the Lord. And she kept going after the Lord no matter what was going on. And part of, you know, we're almost done, but I just, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person who's waiting for you, Lord. God, I pray for people that have been waiting and waiting, 
Give them the faith that you gave to Hannah. You hear from heaven, oh God. You watch. You don't waste our suffering. But you bring out the best. Use, Lord, pain, oh God. Use hardship. Use the waiting to bring about, Lord, your best. What brings you the most honor, the most praise, the most eternal impact, oh God. Help, oh Lord, brothers, my brothers and sisters, not to quit. Help them not to give up in the name of Jesus. Help them not to run to substitutes. Oh God, we cry out to you, Lord. We join together as a family. Let your people hold on, oh God. Let your perfect will be fulfilled as we wait upon you. Lord, because we know that you love us even though we may not be fully blessed. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Help us, Jesus. So the first thing is, is we got to stay focused on God. And we got to keep pursuing him. We got to keep praying. We got to keep seeking. Sometimes we pray for something, we don't get an answer. So what do you do? Pray again. Knock, the Bible says. Well, when the Bible says knock, it means knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. Because something happens to you. Your life changes. Your heart changes. Your mind changes. In that process, you actually, you, it's, there's something unforgettable when you go through the process of the call of God. And you know, even when you are blessed, right? Even when you do great things for God, you're like, that wasn't me. That was all Jesus, right? That was all Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, there's one other thing that's very, very important to answering the call of God, to fulfilling the greater purpose. And, the, and it's as follows. The greater purpose is attained through breaking. Everybody say breaking. Now that is a word that you don't hear in church a lot. Okay? Breaking. We don't understand that sometimes God has to break us before he can make us. Sometimes God has to break us before he can use us. Why does, why does God knock the apostle Paul off a horse and blind him for three days? You know why? Because sometimes he has to break us. And show us that without him, we can't even see, we can't even walk, we can't even do a thing. No matter what we think is right, we need to wait for him to show us what's truly right. He has to break us. He has to break our will. Amen. You see, all throughout the Bible, the people that God really used, he broke them. And broken people are rare in this day because 
you'll see, we'll talk a little bit about this next week, but you'll see, we don't, like, like, Lord, forgive me. I need to preach more about this particular topic. And some people, they, they break in a service, but they don't really leave broken. Meaning something happens, but not everything that needs to happen. So, so sometimes people say, oh, that changed my life. Did it really? What is breaking? Here's what breaking is. Breaking is the deep work of God that makes us desperate enough. Everybody say desperate enough. Desperate enough to surrender our will to him. Our desire, our dream, our plans. God sometimes has to get us to the place. Hannah, I love you. Hannah, I want to use you. Hannah, you're so special. You're loved. But you know what? I have to wait because I need you to break. I've got more than just the ordinary for you. I have the extraordinary. How many want some extraordinary from God? See, breaking takes place when we surrender to God's will by dying to ourselves for the sake of attaining God's greater purpose. It means that we press in despite our emotional distress, our psychological pain. It means we know that God is on the move. Here's the way Jesus put it, John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus, who the Bible says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what he said. He said, very truly. Imagine the truth. He was the truth. He's saying, truly, truly. When God says, when Jesus said, true, true, you know, this is truth. Right? So he's saying, true, true, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He was talking about himself, and then he was talking about all of us. He was saying, do you want to produce many seeds? Do you want to really be fruitful for God? Do you really want to make a difference for all of eternity? Do you really want to impact lives for the glory of God? Well, guess what? You have to die. Thanks for a couple of amens. I got like, come on. See? He was not just talking about wheat. He was talking about us, about we. We need to die. We need to die to self. We need to say, Lord, I'm not going to live for my schedule. I'm going to live for your schedule. I'm not going to live for my will. I'm going to live for your will. I'm going to let you, you choose my boyfriend. I'm going to let you choose my girlfriend. I'm going to let you choose my career. You should see your face. Some people are going like, God's choice is better than yours. God's plan is better than yours. This is not necessarily an easy process. And from the outside, when you look at Hannah's life, from an earthly perspective, you look at Hannah's life, you go, man, look at Hannah. You pity her. You're Tito. 
Why, Lord, why? You're like, man. And yet, God has this amazing plan, but he was waiting. He was waiting. I know that this isn't, this isn't like super popular. You mean to tell me I got up early today and took a shower and brushed my teeth and got ready and came to church to have someone tell me I need to die to myself? Yup. That's the best. When we die, then Christ can really live through us. Then his plan could be fulfilled through us. I'm going to close with just two quick things. Bottom line, the depth of your surrender will determine the depth of your impact. A lot of people say, I want to change the world. What kind of change are we talking about? If you want to change the world for the glory of God, if you want to change the world for the greater purposes of God, you have to surrender. You have to surrender starting now, starting today. Don't put surrender off till tomorrow because you don't even own tomorrow. There comes a point in time when a person says, Lord, like Hannah, just have your way with my life. I lay it all down to you. My schedule, my career, my money, my relationships, I lay it all down. How many know you can never outgive God? Can you know that? Do you know that? So listen, listen to this. Come on, we'll clap in a second. So she can't have a baby. Now she has a baby. She gives the baby to the Lord. All right? And then after she gives that baby to the Lord, then she has another baby and another baby and another baby and another baby and another baby. How many know you cannot outgive God in the end? But the greatest purpose has come through your surrender. So God wants people to surrender. He wants us to break. And sometimes we have to pray, God, break my will. Some people, your biggest problem, actually, can I say this? All people, our biggest problem, guess what it is? It's our will. We can't say, like Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. And we need God to help us die to self. The craziest things bring about the greatest miracles. So look, in the context of today, and I'll close with this example. You know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for a great revival, a great move of God, that the wind of God would blow and the times would change, that people would stop being angry and start being filled with love that division would go away, that love would overflow. How many would love to see an outpouring, that violence would go down, that peace would go up? 
That's revival. That means the Spirit of God comes and does something incredible. And in our nation's history, there have been a number of revivals. One was called the Second Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening was, was kind of uh, catalyzed. It was, it was kicked off by a man named George Whitfield. George Whitfield, 1700s, I believe, maybe late 1700s. Uh, George Whitfield was actually an actor. He was, he was, uh, he worked on, in London, he was kind of on Broadway, but he had a powerful meeting with God and he felt called to preach the gospel. And when he started to preach the gospel, you would think that everything go, would go well, but it didn't go so well. In fact, he got rejected in different places and, and uh, things got very difficult. At a certain point, he came to America and he started to preach here and things went okay. But while he was here, he started some orphanages. There are orphanages. Some of the oldest orphanages in the history of our nation were started by George Whitfield. He went back to London. When he went back to London, things got worse. And while he, they didn't even let him in churches, he started preaching open air. And sometimes when he was preaching open air, they were throwing dead cats at him and they were throwing rocks at him and all of this stuff. And you're like, poor, poor George Tito. This guy's just trying to do God's will. So he comes back to America and he starts to preach, but he didn't preach in churches. He was prepared to speak to the crowds. He was an actor. And so he started to preach to 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. And as he preached, a wind of God began to blow in this nation. And thousands of people started to get saved. And all of a sudden, churches were filled. How many believe churches need to be filled with the people of God? Hallelujah. A great move of God. Do you know many universities started, Christian universities started from the great wind of God? Great things started to happen because the wind of God blew in, but God used an instrument. And I don't know fully what the breaking process of George Whitfield's life was, but you know what? They threw dead cats at him. They threw rocks at him, but he kept on. And he said, Lord, I know that I'm called to preach the gospel and I'm gonna follow until you give me space and surely God gave him space. I'm telling you right now, God's going to give you space. You die to yourself. God is going to give you space. He's going to use you. He's going to raise you up for his glory. Kilpatrick, he's going to raise you up online. He's going to raise you up. But the way up is down. Come on, lift your hands.